Morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Everybody enjoying summer? Sunshine today? No rain today? Anybody going to take a nap today? Okay, that's good. If you're looking for a church home, we'd like for you to uh, call us your church home. If you're visiting with us today, you are our honored guests. We're so glad you're here. And uh, please hang around so we can get to know you. I love the songs Rodney led today. Tell me the story. I love to tell the story. Will you not tell it today? Tell the story of Jesus today. Everybody loves a story. We go to the movies because we like stories. We buy and read books because we like stories. We watch television because we like stories. Everybody loves a good story. We love stories of tragedy. We love stories of weakness. We love stories of victory. We love stories of defeat when people can come back from defeat and they overcome defeat. We love stories of romance. We love stories. And everybody has a story. You have a story. Everybody has a story. I I love watching stories, especially for athletes, about athletes. I, I don't know if you've ever watched the 30 for 30 series on ESPN. The story about Bo Jackson, I don't know if you know Bo Jackson, but just watching his story um, is just fascinating. The story of Pat Summit. I love watching that. Um, the great uh, coach for the Lady Vols at Tennessee. The, sto- the Manning story, have you ever seen the Manning story about, the, about Archie and, and his whole family? I, just, I love watching those stories. Stories fascinate me. Everybody has a story. What's your story? What's your story? We're in a series and we're looking at our goals at Pine Tree. And so we're on number four and I can't click. There we go. Thank you. Um, The first goal we looked at is we'll gather for worship. And so we talked about worship and the importance of worship and how you need to be here for worship. And you being here for worship encourages other people to worship and how we're not here for us. We're here to worship God, and we will glorify the Lord. And so we looked at that several weeks ago. The second one was we will connect with others in a small group by being in community. We talked about the importance that you can't um, live your Christian life alone. Christianity, our, our faith was never meant to be lived alone, and you need to be in a group with somebody. And we define it That group could be Sunday morning here. This is a group, but this is a large group. We'd like for you to be in a smaller group. We have Bible classes that are smaller groups. We have small groups that meet on Sunday nights. But you could have a small group during the week. You could have a prayer group. You could have an exercise group. You could have all kinds of groups. But you need to be in a group. You need to be in community with someone else. Last week we talked about we will serve the church passionately, believing the church is the hope of the world. And knowing that our service not only influences others, but also benefits our own spiritual maturity. And so we talked about the importance of serving and getting involved um, in the work of the church. Today is our fourth goal. We will engage with our world by intentionally and strategically going into our various spheres of influence, showing others the love of Jesus and telling others what Jesus has done for us. We take that from Mark chapter 5, which we'll look at today. Go home to your friends and tell them what wonderful things the Lord has done for you and how merciful He has been. 
we will engage. There's a word for engage that most Christians don't like, that most non-Christians don't like. That word's called evangelism. And evangelism kind of has gotten a bad rap through the years. We don't like the word evangelism. When we go out in the world and talk about evangelizing, people misunderstand what that is. So let me simplify that for you today, and we're going to talk about that today. Evangelism is simply this. In the original language, it just means good news. When you evangelize, you go and tell people good news. When you evangelize, you go and tell people your story. When you evangelize, you go tell people the good news of what Jesus has done in your life. So if you don't want to use that word evangelism, that's okay. But we still need to be telling our story. That's what we're called to do. In fact, we spent a lot of time in the book of Acts where Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. You know what a witness does? A witness says, this is what I saw. This is what happened to me. A witness just tells his or her story. Jesus doesn't call us to be his defense attorney. Jesus doesn't call us to defend God. Jesus doesn't call us to be the prosecuting attorney. Jesus doesn't call us to force people to accept Him. Jesus doesn't call us so that we'll be good salespeople and people will want to come to Him. Jesus calls us to be witnesses. And a witness simply says, look, here's my story. Here's the way I see it. Here's what happened. And so today I want to illustrate what that looks like. Where are we supposed to be witnesses? Well, if you look at our goal... You're supposed to go in your various spheres of influence. You've got influence in areas that I don't have influence. You've got influence with people that I don't have influence with. And in the same way, I've got my own spheres of influence. Where are we supposed to go tell our story? You go to your sphere of influence. I'll go to my sphere of influence. And we'll tell our story and tell people about Jesus. Now, I want to illustrate that three ways. I want to illustrate for you today what it looks like to engage. I want to illustrate for you what it looks like to tell your story. And so I want to tell three stories for you today. The first is this. I ran into an old acquaintance the other day. And I just asked him, hey, how are things going with you? And he proceeded to tell me, he said, well, you you know I got fired from my job about a year ago. And since that time, Richie, I've probably sent out 500 resumes and applications and I couldn't find a job. But that was a godsend, he said, because we found out our 21-year-old son had cancer. So during the last year, I've been able to take my son to cancer treatments and tend to my son and take care of my son. He said, even if I would have had a job, I probably would have got fired because all the time I would have had to take off to take my son for those cancer treatments. And in the midst of what sounded like turmoil, in the midst of him losing his job and not finding a job, in the midst of him um, doing things that we might interpret as bad luck, he said, he closed the conversation, he said, Richie, I just want you to know, God is good. And I couldn't help but think, God is good? You haven't had a job. You can't find a job. Your 21-year-old son had cancer, and you're going to stand here and tell me God is good? But that was his story. 
And I couldn't help but notice in the context, as we're standing there in the place where we were at, in the place of business we were at, I kept looking around and there are people listening to his story, his tragedy, the cancer, not finding a job. But there were people that, that they, you could tell they were so listening to his story. And when he said, God is good, you could tell that it just resonated. They were listening. They were amazed. And that was his story. All he did was tell me his story. I didn't say, hey, tell me your story. He just said, hey, let me tell you what's going on. And when you tell people your story, it's powerful and it changes lives. Let me tell you a second story. We find it in Mark chapter 5. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out, and he would cut himself. Now, Jesus and his disciples get out of a boat, and they encounter a welcoming committee. It's really not a welcoming committee, it's just one guy. They get out of the boat, and they don't just land this boat anywhere, they land at a cemetery. And come running and screaming and flailing at them is this demon-possessed guy who lived in the cemetery. If you looked up his address, it would say, cemetery. Now, that wasn't unusual in that day. Because in that day, people who didn't want to put up with certain kinds of people would just move them to the cemetery. That's where they lived. And so the homeless would hang out in the cemetery. And the insane would hang out in the cemetery. And the demon-possessed would hang out in the cemetery. So this wasn't unusual. But the disciples, I'm sure, they're ready to get back in the boat. What do you do with people that you don't want to put up with? You stick them out in the cemetery. Most of the people in the cemetery are dead. But they had people who lived in the cemetery. I mean, you don't want to go to the mall and find a guy like this. You don't want to go to a restaurant and find a guy like this. In fact, you don't even want to go to a funeral and find people like this. And this is the guy that they encounter. They tried restraining him. They tried chaining him. They tried everything they could, but he would break the irons and break the chains. He was strong. He was powerful. He was crazy. He was demon-possessed. Ropes couldn't hold him, chains couldn't hold him, nothing could hold him. He was reckless. He had no value to the community. He had no value to society. He had no value to anybody except Jesus. Jesus said, i got a plan for this guy. I can use a guy like this. I can use a guy like this in church work. Interesting. We find out later that he's naked. We find out that he's bloody. We find out his hair is probably everywhere. He's crying and screaming. He's in torments. And then Jesus has a conversation with him. Actually, Jesus doesn't have a conversation with him. He has a conversation with the demons who are in him. They knew Jesus. They recognized Jesus. They knew the power of Jesus. And they pleaded with Jesus. And Scripture says Jesus gave them permission... To go into some pigs. You can read all of chapter 5. They go into the pigs. The pigs run down the mountain. They go into the water. They go into the lake and they drown. And they're all dead. And so the guys who are tending to the pigs, they've just lost their jobs. 
Word gets out. So they go tell everybody what's going on. People come out. People see the pigs. And they also see something else. They see Jesus. And sitting with Jesus is a guy, the last time we saw him was crazy and screaming and yelling, but he's sitting with Jesus in his right mind, and he's clothed, and everything seems to be okay. But these people didn't like it, because Jesus had just killed 2,000 pigs because he let demons go into 2,000 pigs, and these people would rather have pigs than Jesus. So they look at Jesus and said, you need to leave. You need to get out. They were more interested in pigs than they were Jesus. They would even rather have a crazy, demon-possessed guy living in the cemetery than Jesus. So they said, Jesus, you need to leave. And so if you read at the end of the story, they start getting in the boat. As they're getting into the boat, the man who'd been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus. As they're getting in the boat, they notice there's one extra guy. As they're getting in the boat, they notice, wait a minute, this guy didn't come with us. As they're getting in the boat, this guy's begging. Hey, can I hang with you? This guy's begging. Jesus, can I just run with you for a while? Hey, Jesus, can I just stay with you? And Jesus says, no. No, you're not hanging with me. You're not hanging with the disciples. I want you to go home to your family. And immediately you think, this guy has a family? This crazy demon-possessed guy that's been running around screaming and yelling has a family? He's got a wife, he's got kids, he's somebody, he's got a family. Jesus said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home to your family and I want you to tell them how much the Lord's done for you and how the Lord's had mercy on you. So you know what this guy does? He goes and he goes to the Decapolis. He goes to a ten-city area. He goes to ten different cities telling his story of what Jesus had done for him. Telling the story of how the Lord had mercy on him. Telling the story of how amazing Jesus was. One minute he's insane, the next minute he's in Christ. How much scripture did this guy know? Probably not very much. How much Bible did he have? Probably not very much. All I know is, I was demon-possessed and crazy... And now I'm in my right mind and I owe it all to Jesus. That was his story. All I know is this man, Jesus, got rid of my chains and bondage. He got me some clothes. He got me cleaned up and looking in my right mind. He got me some toothpaste and toothbrush and he combed my hair. And I'm not yelling and screaming anymore. All I know is this man changed my life. That's my story. And all the people were amazed. Because when you tell your story, people are amazed. When you tell your story, people respond. Story number three. I want to show you a video. Story number three of a member of ours. So if someone will grab Ken Yarbrough. Mike, will you grab Ken and tell him to come in here? He wanted to be in here. I told you several months ago about Rodney Yarbrough. And Rodney and I sat down. He said, Richie, I I want to tell my story And I want it to be on video, and I want people to hear. And you just show it at the right time. So I thought today was the right time. Rodney and I spent about 20 minutes together. I edited it down to about 13 for his mom and dad to see. I want you to see four minutes of Rodney Yarbrough's story. Rodney is the son of Ken and Charmaine. And uh, Charmaine's homesick. Rodney couldn't be here today. But his daddy's here. 
I want you to listen to Rodney's story. Let's play that right now. My name is Rodney Yarbrough, and I've been a member here since uh, 1978. Some of you may know me, and a lot of you may not. And for me being here this long and y'all not knowing who I am is doesn't say much for the tough person I've been. Um, I'm just here to confess some things that some of them have been weighing on me for many, many, many years, and some of them recently. First of all, I was very fortunate that I was raised in a Christian home, so my departure from that way, I was not raised that way. I went through a period in my life where I'd had, where I was gambling, and thought I was a good gambler, but I wasn't. And I'd gamble six days a week, but I would come to church on Sundays. And it wasn't a good habit, and that was one of the low points in my life, is I incurred a lot of debt. No one knew. I never told a soul about it, and I just kept it inside. I'm 45. I'm single. So you can imagine me, without me going into detail, probably what kind of lifestyle I've lived at times. Obviously, it wasn't godly. Had some business dealings maybe where I wasn't all the way on the up and up. I've tried to write a lot of those and still trying to write some other ones. Fortunately for me, I never had a problem growing up with alcohol or drugs. I've never been drunk. I tell people that at 45 and they laugh at me, but it is the truth. There's a lot. I mean, you can think of just about anything that you'd say that a Christian shouldn't do, and I've done it. I'd just like to, for people to look at what I'm confessing today, and there's nothing that you can confess that's going to be any worse than I've done. I got diagnosed uh, June of uh, 2012 with uh, what they call CLL, uh, Chronic Lymphatic Leukemia. And it's a slow-acting leukemia. And thinking about it and reading the Bible, uh, I haven't heard, I didn't tell anyone about this for years. A lot of my things in life because of pride has really made me do the wrong things. I don't imagine an individual seeing me cry in 30 years or more. And so it's really hard for me to just talk about emotional things. At some point, enough's enough and you just can't carry it anymore. I hope that someone can learn from my mistakes, what I've made, and realize that you know there's no need to bottle it up and, and deal with it your whole life. The two things that I prayed for was more faith and to learn how to love. I've really never known how to do that my whole life. I mean, obviously I've loved people, but it just seems that it's distant for me. In certain things. And like everyone else, I'm sure I've experienced distance from God and really close. I'm very, very lucky to have the parents that I have. And where I've strayed in life is not because I was not raised right. I always had support at home. That was never a question. And I know this won't embarrass them because I'm doing the right thing. I've let the church family down. 
they had let me down because I, they did, how would they know what was going on in my life if I didn't confess it? The main thing I want is just for someone to know you can't do anything worse than I've done. I've said bad things against everybody. Um, just rotten people's lifestyle because it didn't match mine. Yeah, mine was real perfect, wasn't it? It just goes to show that you can be raised in a good home and still astray and you still need prayers just like everyone else. So I plan on having my dad baptize me tonight. That's really all I have to say. We announced um, several months ago, I think that was about February, and uh, Ken was able to baptize Rodney that night. I, I wish you could have seen a before and after of Rodney. His heart was so heavy that day. He had so much that he'd been carrying for years, and he, he just needed to let go of that burden, and he did. He did. And I said, Rodney, your story is powerful. So not only before he told me he wanted everybody to see that, and he'd be more than happy to discuss any of that with you, it just shows you the power of when, when you tell your story... People relate. People are like, oh, I, I didn't know you struggled with that. And it's powerful in a number of ways. So again, what is your story? Because you see, we're just called to engage. I like the message translation. Go home to your own people. Tell them your story. I mean, you've got a story. Your story may have something to do with divorce or sickness or healing or job loss or a job opportunity or a job move. It may have something to do with a relationship or your marriage or your children. It may have something to do with some tragedy, some eye-opening experience, some bad habit that you've had. It may have something to do with some blessing or celebration or victory. But you've got a story. You've got a before Jesus and an after Jesus. You've got, here's how I live before I really encountered Jesus. In fact, Rodney had been going to church his whole life. If you were to listen to the conversation, I, I gave his dad a, a longer version. You can hear me asking him questions. And I would say, now Rodney, you, you've been going to church your whole life? And he said, yeah. And you've been doing these things your whole life? He said, absolutely. So there's people all around you that are struggling and going through things. And, and even though we're here and struggling, we, we put on our facades like everything's okay. I mean, if you didn't know any better, you'd think everything was okay with Rodney. You'd never know that he's struggling with leukemia. You'd never know his story. In fact, you ought to send a note to Rodney just to say, thanks for sharing your story. Now, you've got a story to tell. And we're supposed to engage with our spheres of influence. So I want to encourage you to go tell your friends and go tell your relatives and go tell your neighbors and go tell somebody at Walmart, go tell somebody at lunch today, tell some waiter or waitress what's going on or ask them what their story is. You need to tell everybody around you. You have opportunities every day to tell your story. In fact, if you've never told your story, you need to go home and write down your story. You, you need to... Realize what your story is before Jesus and after Jesus. Again, Jesus said, look, I just want you to go tell people what I've done for you. And that's what we want to do as a church. Because your story has value. Your story is powerful. Your, your story will change people's lives. So let me ask you a question. Is anybody going to be in heaven because of you? 
They might if you'd tell your story. Is there going to be anybody in heaven that says, thank you for telling me your story because it helped turn my life around? Is there going to be anybody in heaven because of you? You need to tell your story. And as a church, we need to engage in our community. And we need to do a lot of things in our community. But as we're doing those things and serving, we just need to tell people, Hey, can I tell you what God did for me this week? Can I tell you what God's done for me in my life? Can I tell you how amazing God is? Here's what God's done for me. So we offer the invitation of Jesus Christ today. I don't know what your story is. I don't even know if you want to tell your story today. Maybe you want to go meet with the elders and talk to them and say, hey, I need to tell you the story the last month or two or five years or ten years. Maybe you need to respond and come down front and say, hey, I just want to tell the congregation my story. And your story may be bad news, something bad news that turned good. It may be good news. I don't know what your story is. And you don't have to respond to tell your story. But you need to tell your story. Go home and tell your story to your friends and your neighbors and your relatives. Think about the story of your life and think about what Jesus has done for your life. It doesn't have to be anything amazing. It just has to be your story. And that's what makes it powerful. Again, we've been singing the songs today. Tell me the story of Jesus. That's why we're here. We meet because we love hearing the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus, His story story, history is all about Jesus. And so we gather here today because the story of Jesus, it doesn't end at the cross. It ends when He goes down into the tomb and then He's raised on the third day. And our story is one of victory because Jesus has made us victorious. And if you need to respond to the invitation and if you need to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you need to confess of sins, if you need to repent, if you want to be baptized into Jesus, if you want that to be part of your story, then we want to assist you with that. If you need to respond to the invitation in any way, please do so as we stand and sing.